Damas y caballeros, bienvenidos a En Filadelfia Siempre Hay Fútbol. Me llamo Kevin Kincaid con Baxter el Perro. Kemi, la bebé. Filadelfia <risa> Union ha ganado ese partido, los dos partidos. Kevin. See, I, I introduced myself as you, but then I throw it back to you. This is big. This is big stuff. Russell, qué bien, qué pasa, amigo. Uh, no hablo mucho de español, pero trabajo con los jugadores de Philadelphia Union uh, many years ago, and uh, that's about that's where I stopped my Spanish. So, you sure you don't know any other any other Spanish words, Kevin? You sure? Well, I'm gonna go no comment on that one. Yeah, we'll uh, relive that at another on another podcast, perhaps. But yes, uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. You heard Russ introduce the podcast because I made a deal with him. If he found me a PlayStation 5, I would let him run the podcast uh, for a future episode. And, and Russ found me a PS5. So here he is. I said, you can introduce the podcast any way you want. And he decided to do it with Espanol. Well, you know, we had to do something for Saprisa because they, they came into Philadelphia hoping to, to walk out of here. Uh, with a berth to the the round of eight to the quarterfinal, and uh, that certainly did not pan out for them. So I thought we should at least pay homage to their native tongue. That's right. Yeah. All union all night. I mean, this is <laughs> this God. is nice. Holy this, shit! Holy I mean, it wasn't shit. just it wasn't just as if this team came out and mm. uh, you know kind of lucked their way in or parked the bus to protect the one zero aggregate win like. What a wild, like they wild went, They went for it, man. They came, yeah, they came out playing at this frenetic pace. And like within the first 10 minutes, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to like slow it down here and pause because I had the Sixers on one screen. I had the Union on the other screen. I was doing a uh, – uh, I had a hit that for a Sixers um, radio hit, YouTube hit that I had lined up that I was focused on. I'm like, I need them to like slow this down because I can't like pay attention to both things going on at once here because they were just squeezing – the midfield turning Saprisa over, just throwing guys forward. Jacob Glessness and Jack Elliott were winning the ball like 10, 10 yards inside the opponent's half. I was like, there's no way that this, this pace can continue for like another 40 minutes until halftime. But man, they just squeezed the hell out of them, you know? And um, it was just impressive, man. I, you know, it was one of those games where I was sitting there watching, like you see Shabilko miss, you know, like t- two opportunities that he probably could have finished. You're like, oh God, is this going to be another one of those games where they go into halftime, like should have been up one nothing, and then Saprisa nips some bullshit goal in the second half, and all of a sudden it's like one one, and we're in squeaky bum time. You know, like I looked, I was in the middle of doing the hit with Farzetta, and then I look up and it's like three nothing. I'm like, where the hell did all this come from? It's just like, I don't know, man. It's just it's so impressive, you know. I was on a separate, I think, kind of. uh thought process from you though because when when glessness hits the post i think to myself like when when i saw him lining that up you know obviously you get shades to the, to, to the smash, howitzer from last year I know, I know. yeah like yeah. so I, i'm expecting it i'm expecting like a, a scandinavian smash or something and <laughs> when he dents the post i'm thinking like all right well yeah historically you would expect things to go sideways for the team but yeah. for some reason like i just had this sense of calm that like they had done so well early in play that if they could keep up that, that kind of pace, like maybe they would sneak one in, you know, in the first half, but at at no point in this game did I feel like they were going to lose. And like, yeah, 
to your to your point about like the pace, at least initially, you do worry that you're going to have the the um, the adrenaline rush that's going to lead you to kind of burn out your fuel supply a lot earlier in a game than you would want to have happen. And Especially if that in ends game up leading, two of the season and and like yeah. you getting kind of caught out on maybe like the counter could come back to bite you, yeah. you know, late in the game. And, and then pretty soon you're an extra time and then God knows what happens. And if this could have gone to penalties, oh, baby. Uh, that doesn't always bode well for the union and knockout stages. So I, I just never felt like this game was in doubt. And, and I think it's kind of a credit. I don't know how you feel at this point because you covered the team for so long. Um, but like, I look at this almost as like a proud moment. I, I feel like the union have given us a lot of proud moments in the last year and a half where like, all of those years of struggle, all of those years of supporting the team, they're finally paying off. Like you're starting, we're like even a second or third year into seeing a lot of the fruits of the labors really paying off. And when you see a kid like Fontana, who's been with this organization, who's grown with this organization, and you see the kind of effort that he's putting out, when you think of like what it took to, to first acquire Jamiro and then to extend him, when you, when you see the way that some of these like, marginal moves have worked out for this team because they have an actual professional running the organization in Ernst Tanner. When you see a team getting coached up by Jim Curtin, it feels like everything's just kind of coalesced in this moment where this team is a real thing. This team isn't a fluke. And like by virtue of doing this, sure. Saprisa was down eight starters. Can't, can't undersell, you know, how important that could be. But like, this has a good feeling to it. And Dude, regardless of how t- the next round plays out, like th- there, there's just a good feeling after all the years of supporting the team to see them go out and do something like this. They've they've turned the corner officially. I mean, they did it last year. I don't know. It's just funny how these feelings hold on for so long. You know, these feelings of that's so union, or you're waiting for them to cough it up, or you're waiting for that negative thing to happen, and like that, it, that hasn't happened in a while now. You know, so any of those like lingering, like remnant feelings of that are, are it's kind of goofy, you know, it's unjustified, you know, and I sit here saying like, well, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, but the other shoe didn't drop all of last year. You know, they won the yeah. damn supporter shield. So like, not only is it not your grandmother's Philadelphia union, has it been your grandmother's Philadelphia union for a full year now? I mean, for nothing over Saprisa. Like when we're sitting here doing this right after the game, like it doesn't really resonate necessarily because you're just still kind of. Uh, trying to digest everything that happened, but and this is not Saprisa's best team of all time, but the Philadelphia Union just, just beat a Costa Rican team four nothing in the Champions League. I mean, like just sit there. Let me just like repeat that for for effect, right? Okay, uh, the Philadelphia Union just beat a Costa Rican team four nothing in the Champions League, and it's like they looked amazing doing it. And I agree with you; it's a good point. It's like. The, every every worrisome moment that you're waiting for, you know, with this previous team, like I didn't feel like it was out of question at all. I saw Jacob Glessness and Jack Elliott getting super high up there, playing suicidally high, and I didn't feel bad about it at all. Like it just felt like they were like in total total control. Like I didn't not once in this game did I think that Saprisa was a threat to score. Yeah, you know, and that's partly because they kind of stink, but also because you, I just have trust in the union now. Like I have faith in this team. I, I think, um, I think overwhelmingly, like if I could just boil it down to one kind of thing, is they just have this, like, 
like intense like collective work rate defensively that when they lose the ball they get back into position or they swarm to win it back or when an opponent receives the ball they get up on his back and they don't let him turn it's these like basic like simple principles seem to have been drilled into them so intensely that they just play like this one collective defensive team unit and it's just beautiful to watch it is it, it really so, is so like, good, man. I mean, it's like it's I, weird. I don't like, have this anything, what, prof- anything more profound to say other than that. But no, they just like, there, move as a unit, you know. There isn't anything else to say because it it is a a true joy to watch them play. They play exactly like if if we could go macro for a second. Like if if you're a fan of Philadelphia sports teams and you're ready to you know smash your head against a wall watching any number of them from from any day. I mean, the Phillies are actually looking pretty good now. The Sixers are doing good things. The Flyers. <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, well, like the Phillies if, now have lost like three in a row too, but, but with, compared with to the last way year. That, yeah. With the way that things have gone, like to actually sit down and enjoy a game and to enjoy it the whole way through and to feel like your, your team always has a chance to win the game and can be dominant for long stretches, like that's not something we're accustomed to, not only with the union, but with, with Philly teams in general. So like, Seeing that, you know, I, I said to, uh, I was, I recorded Snow the Goalie earlier with Anthony and he's a soccer hater, right? He just is because he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand a lot of things. Well, and he but, also went on the site and defended Angelo Catali's show earlier in the week, which is, of course, he did. Absolutely outrageous. So, Ridiculous. well, I mean, you also tried to find a nice thing right about the Mike Missinelli show and, you know, started another firestorm. Way to go. Because um, a certain somebody can't read and then tries to use words that are uh, beyond their, uh, their depth anyway i will have um, no no comment on that don't disrespect their show um it is nice to be able to actually enjoy what's what's happening on on the field and if you had told if you had told yourself if you could have traveled back in time this version of kevin kincaid could travel back in time two years and say this is what's going to happen they're (laughs) going to win five zero on aggregate Uh, against a costa rican team and not only do it where you'd be like, wow, five, nothing, huh? But like to say, yeah, in the second leg, they went out and absolutely crushed it at home. Would you have believed it? Because I don't know. I don't know if, if even two years ago, we could have seen this kind of thing. No, absolutely not. It's just insane to, to, to see how fast they've turned the corner. And well, I guess it hasn't been that fast. They were good in 2018. They went to the playoffs in 2018. They were good in 2019, you know, but, um, even now, if you put the 2018 team up against this team, I think this team beats that team three nothing. You know, so yeah. they've really come come a long way in a short amount of time. It was um, a slow rise to where they were in 2018. The the and then shocking thing is that it's been that short time that took them not from just like a fringe playoff team, yeah, yeah. but from that to legitimately contending, like being a legit. When you look at this league as a whole. The union have so many things that are going well for them because you can throw the academy in as, as that thing that yeah. like continues to just churn out legitimate guys who like when you go back and you think about like what this team could have been by losing McKenzie and losing Aronson. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, no, we have the organizational depth to replace those guys. You know, you had Ellie yeah. and, and Glessness anyway, but like the idea that like you can still, you know, on the defensive side of things kind of fill some of those spots you have guys that are coming up through when you can replace an Aronson with a Fontana who looks absolutely excellent at this point. Like, and Biso comes in, 
dude doesn't see the pitch much at all last season and comes in and looks rock solid. It looks, looks great. And it's funny because we're like sitting here saying, and we were talking about it today because we were on, on Twitter. We were today, Wednesday on Twitter. And we were all lamenting the fact that like Ernst Tanner said that they have to refund the Academy with the money that they made off of McKenzie and Aronson. But then you look at like the dudes that they have and we're all like sitting here saying, well, we want that big star striker, that big number 10 or something. Well, like Montero's damn good. Brujo's damn good. Glessness is damn good. And Baizo is good. Like they haven't missed on any, they've missed on Vooten. And like that was yeah. it. Like his, like Ernst's track record is like 95% since he's been here. So, uh, you know, and it's funny too, cause like Montero had two goals and two assists. It's like their biggest signing last year was just to extend him and bring him back for more money. And we're sitting here saying, but well, can you imagine, it's not really that exciting. Well, imagine where like, they'd be if they didn't have him. What if they didn't do it? Yeah, exactly. Like it's insane. Like to think that they've, I think every fan gripe is justified for sure, but like they have nailed everything anyway. And it's just insane to me how they just find these, these two way like grinder midfielders who can go forward. They can go back. They can run for days. They can win the ball. They just swarm you like Bedoya, Brujo, Montero, and and Leon Flock looks like he just fits in perfectly. I don't. It's like what he's the like, flock, Kevin? What like the flock? These dudes that like grow they, on trees or something. It's like you, watching the Miami Heat when they used to pull these like two way like guards out of out of like the out of whatever you know. I mean, they just like Ernst Tanner just finds these dudes and it's crazy. You think Ernie Stewart would have found Flock? Absolutely not. Ernie found some good dudes, but his miss record was. That's the thing about Tanner. It's like he doesn't miss. Like he's yep. missed like what like his the signings were not as sexy as what Ernie was bringing in, but he was hitting them with more frequency. Let me do this because I'm like I, I'm like totally all over the. You're place. frazzled. Like, You're like positively frazzled. This is I nice. Had two to games see. going on. I wrote like a thousand words on the Sixers. I did a, a hit with Farzetta, and like I'm trying to just collect myself to, to come up with something interesting to say to the fans here. But I, I did actually take notes. So let me just go, let's just go through some notes here, and we'll narrow the focus okay. about that, and then we'll sound like we know what the hell we're talking about. You know what was ironic was on the Glessness shot that came off the post, Bedoya is flicking the ball on at the near post. He, and Bedoya is so damn good at that. But the like the irony of thinking that like your short midfielder is flicking the ball on to your tall defender at the back post, it just defies logic because you'd think like send the trees forward to go attack the corner kick, but they it just have this way of finding him on the near post and flicking it onto him. Um, you can cut in at any time if you have a point. You want to um, make about any of these? Otherwise, I'm just going to keep reading them. Okay. Um, Suppressive playing three five two or five three two, whatever the hell you want to call it. Their poor left wing back Hernandez just got abused for 180 minutes by Bedoya and Embizo. And what the Union really do did well was Bedoya just puts on this friggin' clinic every single time of when to exploit space, when to go, and when not to go. And and they would invite Hernandez to kind of step up and make him address the ball, and then they just slice in behind and, and eat up that vacated space uh, behind the wing back. Like they were just exploiting that for for you know, both games over and over and over and over. Yep. Um, just Bedoya, just knowing when to, when to slice and when not to. Casper um, Shabilko, dude, I, I, you know what? I, I swear every single time I watch him play, I, I'm like 60 seconds away from going on Twitter and saying like, they got to upgrade here. <laughs> or like, he's like, I just like, I'm so frustrated watching him. And then he pops up with a goal like five minutes later. Every single time I do it, I'm like, they can upgrade here. Like, what is wrong with Shabilko? And then he scores. Um, 
Now, the two goals he scored in this series, there was nobody within five yards of him. Okay, he scored two, two like uncontested headers. One was a great back post run in the first leg, and then the second one, his mark just literally just fucking stood there and watched him run right by him. So I don't know if they were supposed to be in like zonal marking or what was going on there, but um, Shabilko is a finisher, uh, but he's not doing much else at this point. If he doesn't have the service, like early on in his career, he was good at holding the ball up and he kind of get it out from under his feet. He'd let other guys come up, but now he's just like, looks ever since COVID, he looks like he's like playing a step behind everybody else. And, um, and I don't know if there's lingering effects. I don't know how much that has to do with it, but like, he's such a frustrating dude and I'm like ready to just go apoplectic on a May scores. So I'm glad I held off on them, you know, tweeting on that kind of stuff. Um, the COVID thing is real though. Like whether, whether that's what's going on with him or not, like it was Jason Tatum, I think a day or two ago, Celtics, mm. you know, said that he's had to use an inhaler now before every game. And he never was like that before. And like, you think about, like if, if we were going to compare athletes here, like I think we'd probably agree that Jason Tatum is probably going to be the more physically fit of the two. He's also younger. And so the fact that like his body reacted to it that way um, kind of, I think maybe doesn't discredit, but like maybe puts a, a slight pause on that notion that just because a guy is a young professional athlete somehow means that like COVID doesn't affect them negatively. I think like kind of proves that like that maybe that isn't exactly the case. And so like we've seen that, I think across a number of sports that some guys who've, who've gotten COVID have had a harder time getting themselves reacclimated. And by the way, it's not like, it's not like the union have been playing for a month here. Yeah. Right. Like you're still trying to work through your initial like preseason conditioning. And we all know that that can take some time. You are right. Like, there are moments in games where you kind of worry about him and, and you start to wonder like what the real advantage here is if he's not finding the back of the net, because it's not like he's offering a dynamic skill set and it's not like he's a burner. It's not like he's, you know, the, the kind of guy that like Santos ends up, yeah, you know, yeah. providing you where you're, you're wearing down center backs. But at the same time, like if, if he's able to find the back of the net, like he has been able to and, and find it at really opportune times, you can't take him out of the lineup. I mean, it, it's also worth noting that, like, ahead of the first leg, like, he, he came back through back spasms, which is not a, uh, a yeah, fun yeah. or enjoyable thing. So, yeah. you know, is he a Philly guy, Bo? Yeah, I mean, like, he played through injury to come back yeah. because this team had no had no striker available. So, like, you you have to tip the cap to him, right? And, like, he can be frustrating, but, man, if, he, yeah. if he's going to score, you'll deal. He literally doesn't have to do anything else for 89 minutes if he's going to score in the yep. other minute that he plays like that's that's what strikers are that's why center backs can't stand strikers because like they'll do jack shit for 89 minutes it's like, oh it's a goal you know well we're busting our ass trying to keep the ball out of the net but um a point on montero uh first of all the challenge against him early in the game that was a red card in mls it would have been called a red and Concacaf it's barely a yellow right but like there's no like malicious intent there i don't think but he comes in high and he gets him right on the ankle you know so that's the kind of le- like leg breaker that we're red card in now. So I thought the dude was lucky to stay on, but back to back games with it should have been red card. Yeah, that's Concacaf for you, man. I mean, holy crap. Um, but Jamiro, you know, they had him playing again as a ten because you know they're uh, a little bit shorthanded up front, and like I, I <laughs> he's like good. He's good anywhere, man. And he played that through ball for Fontana on the third goal. 
where I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, he, he that's a slicing number 10, like final third through ball. You know, I didn't think he had that a lot of that in him. Um, I just still don't think number 10 is his best position, but if they had to go with that for however many games until they find somebody else there or can move Fontana back, um, it's fine with me. You know, I just think he's so good. I think part of it is not that I don't think he's a good number 10, but I just think he's a really, really, really good number eight. Yeah. And this flock dude looks pretty good so far, but a, a midfield where you've got Brujo and then on either side of him, Montero and Bedoya is by far the best midfield in MLS. I used to, these dudes just run for a day. Like, I can't think of anything else interesting to say about the, these midfielders, but they can just like run for friggin' days. They're all over the field. They're putting fires out. Like the way that they just recover the ball and get back and then they're moving forward again. It's just like, I don't know. I, I wish I had. That's something the beauty more. of a, of a collective unit versus going out and acquiring a guy at a ridiculous DP salary. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what it is. You know, they're all like just, you know, they're, they're not all like entry level all- dudes. They're like, they're making decent money, but not superstar money. But they all just have yep. this like, these these dudes all play with the same mentality where they're, they're just, they, they go out and play and it's like business. You know, there's no like divas on this team. There's no complainers or whiners. You know, Bedoya will, his body language sometimes will be shitty when Sucks. team teammates mess Sucks. up with something. But it's it's because he cares. Like I don't think he's petulant. You know, he's not like taking the ball and walking off the field. You know, he's pissed because he's a competitor. But I don't know, man. I got to the next podcast. I got to write down like I got read it. Write down profound things to say about the midfield and then come up with some new material because I repeat the same damn thing about the midfield every time, but it's because they're so good. Well, it's um, kind of like when you're winning the trenches in football, right? Like in theory, if your midfield is excellent, if your midfield is, you know, fostering that or bridging that gap between your own third and the final third yeah, and they're doing it well and they're controlling possession, you know, in the neutral third, then like, you don't want to have to say anything about them. You know, it's just like your offensive line. You don't want to have to say anything about them. You want to say that they played great yeah. Yeah. and that they did the job, but you don't, you shouldn't have to have profound things to say about it. You know what I mean? So yeah, they just do it. They're going about a, their business and function, they're doing what we're used to see the, to seeing them do. Yeah. It's a function of them executing their system. Well, it's it. I, the, the interesting thing to me is that flock has looked as good as he has and that the chemistry seems to be there with the rest of the midfield, given the fact that he's only been around the team for, what, two weeks, yeah. 16 days, 18 days, something like yeah. that. Like mm-hmm. the fact that they've been able to figure that part out, honestly, I think is is like maybe the biggest surprise so far. Uh, can we talk really quickly, though? Like, I don't know what your rundown over there looks like, but like it's uh, my rundown has been exhausted. Can, the only other point I was going to make is that I didn't I didn't think it was a penalty, but it doesn't matter. Even if it wasn't a penalty, they would have won three nothing instead of four nothing. So go figure. It was a Chester penalty. Um, <laughs> Home and Baizo, can we talk about him for a second? Because sure, this is a guy who last season, I think when when we did the predictions podcast and then we we did our, um, you know, our wonderful uh, look back at uh, at our predictions, you know, after the season. Oh, yeah. And Baizo was like a guy that I think we both thought we would see more of. And like, I, I guess I get conceptually why they wanted to go with, you know, the the steady Ray Gaddis. But like if Mbaiso could have done this last year, and I'm not saying that he could have, and there's no way to know, but if he could have given them this kind of play, like was the Philadelphia Union's ceiling higher last season 
if he had played. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the games that he did play last year, because there was the stretch where Gaddis was injured, I think Mbizo has looked better in the, the two games that we've seen him this year than in the entire entirety of what he did last year. And um, it's just crazy because, I, you know, that first goal in the, in the first leg, you know, like Ray Gaddis, I don't know how – in nine years, I don't know how many of those crosses he's hit into the box. Yeah. You know, I mean, it might be single digit and, um, you know, I mean, no disrespect to Ray. It's, it's what we've said about him from the beginning. It's like, he's a great defender who didn't really have much of an offensive game, you know, and what Mbizo lacks in the defensive game, he makes up by being able to hit balls into the box, you know, but they don't, they don't lose anything necessarily in, uh, you know, in in risking him going forward because Brujo's there to clean up. Mbizo plays on Glesnus side, and I feel more comfortable with Glesnus putting out fires on his side of the field than Jack Elliott on the other side of the field as a right-footed yeah. guy playing on the left. Um, so I, I think the I've seen enough of Mbizo one v one defending in space that I know he's not Gaddis, but he'll hold his ground and he won't dive and he won't poke and he'll just try to funnel defenders the right way. I, I don't think the drop off. I think, I think I, I would put it this way. I think Mbizo's offense is better than Gaddis to the point where it's more valuable than Gaddis's defense being better than Mbizo's. Well, do you remember that how makes sense? For That's years, a weird way to, yeah, a weird well, way to say it. I mean, I'll, I'll one up this a little bit. Okay. Do you remember how for years we said, what if you could make a love child of Ray Gaddis and Keegan Rosenberry? That's what Mbizo is because He's got mm. all of the offensive upside and the ability to actually cross dangerous balls into the box, almost like yeah. the right side version of Kai Wagner. But is at least defensively sound enough where he's not going to cost you a game. So like to me, yeah. th- there's kind of like that best of both worlds sort of thing that he that he's got. And like if you allow him to grow and to develop into that and and listen, if he does have a game or two where he struggles or where he does cost you a goal. I, my hope would be that Jim wouldn't show a, you know, a really short hook for him. Like I, I would like to see him have the opportunity to grow into that role and yeah. to really feel like he's solidified himself because if the early returns that we've seen are indicative of what is to come this season to me, like that also means that not only do you have probably the best midfield in the league, but you have one heck of a back line behind them. And obviously you know that you have arguably yeah. the best goalie in the league. So then you just kind of have to look forward to the forwards and decide, you know, if, if you're Ernst, if you're trying to make a pitch to Jay Sugarman about this could be another one of these years, this could be another year that we're, we're really in contention, how much money can be spent on a striker? And like, you know, you mentioned that there are no egos, there are no divas on the team. You know, maybe from Ernst's perspective, and his name is German for serious, like maybe he doesn't want to screw up the chemistry with this team like maybe there is a thought that like is the upgrade quote-unquote they're going to be that significant that you risk throwing off the locker room dynamic when you could probably get by with with santos and with casper and with Corey burke to me i think you probably do have to upgrade it but like i guess if you're doing that calculus you you do have to think about like the social emotional side of mm. this, right? Yeah. It's funny. It's kind of like when you originally added Kyrie Irving to that, like Karis Levert and Spencer Didwitty and Joe Harris, Brooklyn Nets team, you know, where they were mm-hmm. kind of clashing right away. And then they ended up getting rid of a bunch of those dudes and bringing in Harden and, 
and had then they had Durant anyway, you know. And but, oh my god, um, they killed Kenny Atkinson. Well, yeah, he yeah, unfortunately he got the chance with that. I have kind of a weird take. Um, this might be a dumb take, but I'm gonna try it for the first time. You know, Mbizo reminds me a little bit of um Keon Daniel and uh Mark McKenzie in a in a in a in stylistically that they all three of those guys play with this kind of languid kind of pace where they they never looked like they were really like in they never looked like they were in like fourth or fifth gear like they always looked like they were kind of like floating around in second gear but i yeah. think the more i watch him bison now the more i feel like he's more like mckenzie where he's just kind of like trying to stay relaxed within a game um versus like having his hair on fire you know i think like keegan rosenberry was such a good attacking player and he was the best full crossing fullback that they've ever had but um you know Mbizo just kind of when he needs to defend and when he needs to come back he strides back he looks calm doing it just keeps the guy in front of him you know he's not going to stab he's not going to do anything stupid um and sometimes it makes it look like he's he's not playing with this intensity but it's just because he's very he seems to be very level-headed and it's just kind of like you know, keeping keeping it in, in in front of him and keeping things in 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 uh in a, in a situation that he can they can he can handle. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but um, it does. He sort of floats around the field, I think, a little bit. It's it's interesting to watch him play. But um, yeah, that was all I had written down. I had notes from the first leg. I don't know if any of those make any or, or um make any sense now, but um. I just felt, you know, in the first leg, I just felt like they were a little, they were a little too narrow at times. I felt like Flock and Wagner were trying to figure out their spacing on that side. Um, but again, I thought that goal was a Bedoya special. He's just so good at like, like knowing when to go and knowing when not to go and exploiting the space and kind of like finding these little like advantageous wrinkles that uh, that other unexperienced guys, inexperienced guys, wouldn't be able to find, but. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't want to get too carried away, but like I look at ahead now, like Club America looked like dog shit tonight. Atlanta was not very impressive in their second leg. They looked really good in their first leg, but in their second leg, I don't know. And I'm kind of bummed that they have to play Atlanta in the next yeah. round because the, the joy of the Champions League is you're playing teams you never get to play, you know? So I would have loved for them to play like, um, you know, if they were on the other side of the bracket, it would, would have been nice for them to play like a Mexican team. Um, in the next round, but on, on on the union side of the bracket, it's three MLS teams and it's Club America. So I I give them a really damn good chance of of getting past Atlanta. Honestly, <laughs> I do too. I mean, I think, yeah. there's at this point, there's no reason to think that they can at least be competitive, right? I mean, yeah. on their on their worst day, they should at least be relatively competitive with Atlanta. Hang and on, if they you... play the way that they played through the first two. They should be great. What's up? Um, just keep bullshitting for a minute. I'm going to pull up the Champions League right here and look at the bracket, and um, we can. Oh yeah. So let let us take a look at the rest of the bracket here. So as Kevin pulls it up on his computer, it's going to be off five to the of... side, secondary monitor, and now he is ready. Okay, so this is it. So um, there's going to be five Columbus. I guess um, Columbus was up four nothing in the first leg, so they're through. Um, it's going to be in the second round. It's going to be Portland and America, Atlanta and Philly, Toronto versus Cruz Azul, and uh, it's going to be Columbus versus Monterey. So 
five MLS teams and three Mexican teams. I who would you? Uh, who who are you going to cheer for in the uh, Cruz Azul Toronto FC battle? Toronto, man. No. FC Cruz Azul beat Toronto. Cruz Azul, yeah. Why would I want to watch Michael Bradley win anything? Oh, it's a Michael Bradley take. Okay, I didn't. Realize. We have to come back to this. It's not anti- that it's a Michael Bradley take. It's a <laughs> I listen. I, I'm just of the belief that Michael Bradley doesn't deserve to have anything nice after he, you know, heralded in one of the worst moments in uh, U.S. soccer history. So, no, yeah, I, I'm not cheering for that. Yeah. And then Josie called jo- what did Josie called uh, Twelman like a privileged white boy or, or something. Yeah, like he that. was so <laughs> out of I mean, Jesus, he was so far beyond the, the realm of what's an acceptable thing to say. I didn't even but know like, where the hell that, that came from. I, he had he had like a quasi point initially, but then it's like, dude, do you forget the fact that like Twelman's international career was pretty much cut short because of concussions, which is the thing that he continues to uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. advocate for the awareness of? Like, yeah, you're not stupid. Like, I, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah. Like, did you think that the people you were tweeting to were stupid, that they weren't going to they weren't going to know that? Is that what the thought here was? Like, what are we doing? By the way, Josie Altidore yeah, yeah. might have been an inspiration to to young kids of color. And that's great. And that's awesome. And yeah. I I hope I hope that he finds pride in that. But Josie Altidore is one of the worst US men's national team players relative to like what the expectations were of like my lifetime. And so like he's a big body dude who played like a wimp. You know what he's like? He plays forward. Like James Van Riemsdyk plays forward for the Flyers. Big body dude who plays like a little guy. And that's not what you need. That's not what the U.S. men's national team needed. So Josie can take whatever. Here's the thing. Josie somehow um, got all of those tweets fired off without tearing his quad or his hamstring. And for that, he does deserve a roaring round of applause. (laughs) I I didn't understand what I mean, I guess. Josie was just sick of the criticism being directed at the, at the guys who were not, who were part of the qualification failure or whatever. And like, whatever he yeah. can clap back. He, he's justified saying whatever he wants to say. I don't know what Twelman being a white boy had to do with it. Unless there's something personal that we don't know about, or if they had some kind of beef that nobody's familiar with or whatever. Otherwise it just it seemed like really random. Cause I don't know what the fuck race had to do with it, but it seems like Josie Sometimes, you know, it doesn't uh, totally think it through before uh, putting some stuff on Twitter. But anyway, um, let's get it back to the union, as they say. Um, We can wrap it up on this because I don't have anything else to say after this. Um, I think Portland can be Club America. I think the Atlanta, I think it's going to be an all MLS semi. So it's going to be Atlanta or Philly, right? So I think think Portland can be Club America. I honestly do. So I think it's probably if I had to like predict this thing going forward. Oh my God, does Columbus play Cruz Azul in the semis? I think it's going to be Columbus versus Cruz Azul, and then on the other side in the semifinals, I think it's going to be Philly and Portland. <laughs> so let me let me play. I seriously believe that I'm not. I'm not just making this Would, shit up. I really do believe it. For the Union, wouldn't it be good though? to see them go up against teams that they're not going to play. Right. So like, wouldn't it be good if Portland does lose? Because even if that means that Philly might be playing a better team, like 
I personally would rather see them go up against teams that you're never going to see them play against. Holy you know? shit. Philadelphia Union versus Club America in the Champions League semifinals? Yes. I'd be here for it. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> yes, like, sign I would me rather the hell that. Up. Yes. And then sign me up for Cruz Hasul versus the Philadelphia Union <laughs> in the CONCACAF Champions League final. Oh, I don't man. think this is, like, just think about that. Damn. Like, if you want to... Th- so. We think a lot of times right now about like, well, you know, these unprecedented times, you got the COVID things. So, you know, can you really, can you really uh, believe in any of the results that are happening out here? Can you believe it? Well, if, <laughs> if the only teams that they're going to face from now on are going to be MLS teams, then like to me, that reduces the validity of winning it. And I know that might seem like kind of a sensationalist take, but like mm. beating Atlanta, beating yeah. Portland, and then beating Columbus, it's like, all right. You know, that's that's a, a, a really solid set of three teams. That's right? a really good U.S. But, Open Cup run. But that's exactly it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus, uh, yeah. versus to go up against Club America and then to go up against Cruz Azul and to walk away with the Champions League title at that. Because not only would that be impressive, you know, just based on the matchups that you'd be playing, <laughs> but then also it would mean that you were the last MLS team standing in yeah. this tournament. Like, I- and... Then you kind of zoom out and it's like, imagine that though, Kevin. Like, think about how incredible that would be. You I know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine that we're having a discussion on on this podcast about if the union were gonna win the Champions League, what path would, would you prefer to take to win it? Like, well, we want to beat the Mexican team on the way to the Champions League. It's like, holy shit, I can't believe we're like I, I still can't even I, I'm trying to process the union being in the Champions League, number one. Uh number two beating Saprisa five nothing in their first Champions League tie of all time. And now I'm sitting here thinking like, well, I think they can make it to the semis. And then and then we're saying like, well, you want to beat Club America. <laughs> Portland. Thinking back to where the show started sh- to now, Jesus is it Christ. is it fair to say that Dave Zeitlin oh. had to die for the Philadelphia <laughs> Union to fly? If the union go back know. to if the union go to the semis and they play Club America, we'll get we'll get Dave back on because that'll just be You have to. A watershed moment, yeah, like the Gaddis retirement podcast. But it's crazy, man. I just, again, I think the theme of uh, of this podcast was just me trying to collect myself. You know, maybe it hasn't hit me entirely yet that the Philadelphia Union uh, blasted uh, Saprisa for nothing in the Champions League, and now we're sitting here looking ahead to to the semifinals. I mean, life comes at you fast, you know. Um, if you don't stop to take a look around. You might miss it. <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, listen, you started the podcast, and so I'll allow you the the final word. Uh, send your joy. Kevin, I'm just happy. I'm happy we got to spend this time together. I'm happy that we got to enjoy uh, a an emphatic win. I'm glad that the people who got to go down to the game got to enjoy it and got their money's worth. And um, – I am looking forward to this season for the Philadelphia Union. And I, I, like I said off the top, the people that have supported this team from the start have to feel validated at this point, have to feel vindicated for years of uh, going out and watching a subpar product. You're now seeing all of that, that struggle, all of that, uh, all those painful memories that you had to endure, all of those awful, that's so Union moments. You're kind of getting this like, karmic payoff and it really feels great it really does i couldn't positivity say this is the positivity podcast the another positive uh 
podcast. It's there is no Negadelphia in Chester anymore. It's just all Positadelphia all the time. Uh, Jeffrey Mitchell. It's always po- happy to, to know that. Yeah, it's always positive in Philadelphia. That's right. And uh, we will be back. Uh, Philadelphia Union versus Columbus, and then uh, Atlanta in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Holy shit! It's always soccer in Philadelphia. <laughs>